this morning. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, I encourage you, if you don't have an outline, they're out on the back table. We're actually going to be using it to do some reading today. Um, yeah, just uh, a good day to be with brothers and sisters in the Lord, and um, we're glad for you who are with us today for the first time. Welcome both on live stream and here in person. And if you haven't been with us, um, this is actually our last week in the series, um, Jesus' Words to the Churches, out of the book of Revelation, looking at chapters 2 and 3. And now we're moving today from the words to the churches to two throne scenes. That sort of a, is a transition in the book. Uh, the, the, the answers to some of the things that we're hearing in the words to the churches are answered by the throne room scenes. And then these throne room scenes actually push us then to the future uh, that is being spoken about in the opening of the seals, which we're not going to be doing. Uh, we're ending with this. So, you know, what is the question? What is the relationship between the letters to the seven churches, which we have looked at for the last seven weeks, and what we'll be looking at today, chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, the throne room scenes. So Jesus was walking in the midst of his churches, observing them, speaking words of encouragement and warning. That's what we've been seeing. He was encouraging the churches over the last seven weeks to be true to him, to remember your first love, to be witnesses to the world concerning him, to worship him, to endure and bear under attacks of the world, the flesh, and the devil, to accept your limitations, to do not compromise, and do not grow lukewarm. But an open door was there for us. There was an invitation from Jesus to let him in and let his love and forgiveness and strength become yours and mine. And these words of encouragement, for, they were for real people being tempted in really significant ways to endure and overcome. That's what we see. We see a group of people that were churches in a time when the Roman Empire, and in particular the emperors, were coming against Christianity in some really hard ways, there was a lot of persecution. There was enduring that needed to take place. It seemed like evil was overwhelming. And I think today, in many ways, we feel the same way. He's speaking to us. Our desire is to endure and to overcome. And so these words, as we saw over the last seven weeks, they were speaking to us also. And now we come to these visions of chapter 4 and 5. And here's the question they answer. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to endure? Is it worth it to not compromise? Is it worth it to not be lukewarm? Is it worth it to proclaim Christ? Is it worth it to love the God of the universe? Is it worth it to be called a Christian in today's society? What chapters 4 and 5 do and show us are how things really are. This is really important. See, when I put my glasses on, right now you're all blur. But when I put my glasses on, they help me bring things at a distance into focus. Words on a page, faces, signs. 
And when we look at our world, we put on a human set of glasses, our culture, books, songs, movies, parents' habits, family values, our experiences, our relationships, our joys, our sorrows. They all influence our worldview, which in large part determines our reality. I want you to get that. Our worldview determines a lot of what we consider reality. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, is our reality accurate or trustworthy? Is our reality accurate or trustworthy? So the book of Revelation serves us as God's glasses, helping us focus on reality from God's perspective. Much of what is unseen reality, a spiritual reality that is just as real as that, as that which we really see with our human eyes and experience. Josh read this at the beginning. I don't know if he knew I was going to be using it, but 2 Corinthians 4.18 speaks to this. And I'm going to read it again. You can put that up, John. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I love it. Eternal. When we turn to Revelation 4 and 5, we are getting a picture of that which is eternal, that which is spiritual. That's what is real right now, right here in a different dimension. And what I wanted us to do this morning, you'll see on the back of your outline that I have all of Revelation 4 and 5. We're going to read this together, and you're going to have parts in this. So you're going to read it along with me. So this side over here, you are the four living creatures. So when we get to the four living creatures and what they say, you're going to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You're going to yell it out like the four living creatures did. And then this section is going to be the 24 elders. And when you come to what the 24 elders say, you're going to be saying it. You are worthy, our Lord God, to receive glory and honor. This side, you've got to wait a while, but you're going to be the voice of the angels. How amazing is that? Right? And then when it says every creature, we all join in together. But let's read this. Asking now, Holy Spirit, give us spiritual eyes to see in the way you gave John the ability to see this. So let me begin reading. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. There are the seven spirits of God. Also, in front of the throne was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. 
In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered with all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying. Did you think that's how they said it? All right, you ready? One more time. With a little bit more energy. Come on. Ready? Sing it. Hallelujah, four living creatures, go for it. All right. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say... And then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or in earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb, looking as if he had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and a loud voice they were saying... And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying... To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. and the elders fell down and worshiped. Hallelujah. How amazing is that? How amazing is that scene? Now, I know I have a lot of artists in here. And I know when I pick out pictures, you guys... 
probably are like, oh my gosh, Angelo should call us up so we could pick out the pictures. <sighs> but you know what? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I'm just going to show four pictures of a, somebody's imagination as they looked at this. And then what I'm going to encourage is our artists here, paint something, draw something. Use your imagination over the next couple of days or the next couple of weeks reading this and draw something. Bring it in or post it up on our website. I mean, we used to have a gallery up here where Mirza did some paintings. We're more than glad to put them up there. But use your imagination to get, get us even thinking about the way you might think about this and how you might see it. It would be, it would be a great gift to all of us. So I want to encourage you to do that. So here's some pictures just quickly. Here's the throne room scene. There's the elders, there's the four living creatures, and certainly there's this emerald in back with the rainbow and that which was brilliant on the throne. So this is somebody and the way they drew it. Now, next picture. This is the lamb standing, the one who's come, the lamb who was slain. Um, and again, another way of looking at the throne room scene as the lamb comes up. The next picture is just more of an explanation. I like it because it brings in all the elements brings the lion and the lamb, and then behind it, you see Jesus on the cross, the lamb who was slain. I really like the way that they depicted that. And then the next picture. These are the angels praising the Lord. This is this section here. You guys did a good job. Praising the Lord. Praising the Lord. So anyway, using the imagination. God really wants us to use our imagination. And, and you know, guys, we do. We have a 24-7 world that really likes to stir our imagination with all kinds of visual images. So let's get God's visual images in our eyes. Anyway, so where do we go from here? Let's start with where it started, an open door. Um, I have this uh, quote there. Heaven is part of the universe, but a part which is entered by the opening of the spiritual eye rather than by any external form of transit. John was on the island. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't flying somewhere. He wasn't going somewhere. Because the, the reality is, is that the spiritual dimension is right here. It's, it's another dimension that we can't enter into. But that spiritual dimension is here. The door just opens up. God allows that to happen. So if you want to think about it in that way, heaven is right here somehow, some way that we don't quite understand, but that spiritual mention is here with us. And there's times when we step into that in prayer and in other things where we see things that are like, wow, that's amazing. So John was sitting on a rock, probably, on the island of Patmos when he was able to look into this throne room. And as he enters into this dimension, I was thinking, what are, what are some things? Well, we're here, but we also know there's radio waves going on. There's all kinds of things going on around us, isn't there? Like, it's happening. We don't see them, but it's happening. So why would we have such a hard time thinking, well, a heaven and a spiritual dimension is in the same way? But we just can't see it at the moment. So what did he see? He sees the throne. This is the seat of God's power and authority. It is the control center of the universe, and it's occupied, not empty. It's not up for grabs. God is present. Hallelujah. 
the throne is not empty. Much of this description John gives is from Old Testament images, Ezekiel, Exodus, Isaiah. And we know from Exodus, he passed his glory past Moses. It talks about jasper as a translucent gem that symbolizes radiant light and beauty. The ruby is a deep red which symbolizes justice, revealing God as holy, just, and powerful. The rainbow that encircled the throne symbolizes the covenant-keeping God, that his throne is one of love and grace and mercy. And the seven lamps and seven spirits represent the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The sea of glass represents his unapproachable holiness. And we'll see later on that there is no more sea because of the work of the Redeemer. We look at the four living creatures and we are told that these four living creatures resemble earthly creatures. The lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. Now there's a rabbinic proverb that says the strongest creature is a lion, the most useful of creatures is the ox, the swiftest of creatures is the eagle, and the most intelligent is the man. And this vision carries the same idea. These four living creatures stand for all of creation. The number four confirms this because it's used as a symbol for the whole world, right? The four corners of the earth, the four winds. It's this idea of all the earth, all of creation. What we see is the creation giving glory and honor and thanks to he who is on the throne. The 24 elders represent the 12 tribes of the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of the New Testament which is a picture of the church, God's people. The old and new creation proclaim God is worthy of worship that is going on now, and we join in it. We join in it. A number of months ago, we, uh, we spoke on worship and said, worship starts on Saturday afternoon all the way around the other end of the world, and we're sort of the last piece of that wave of worship. Well, worship is going on continuously in the spiritual realm, and we join in, and we learn pretty early on in our catechism that the chief end of man is to do what? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So we have this scene, and then we move to Revelation 5, and we have this scene with the scroll. The scroll contained what God's sovereign will has determined as the destiny of the world the book of history. In its content is God's plan of salvation and how it will be executed on the stage of history. But who is worthy to take the scroll, break its seal and open it up? And they call one out to all the universe on the wings of angels' voices, yet no one answered. There was no one worthy. And John wept. He could envision the whole world weeping in its brokenness. But wait, wait, do not weep, do not weep. The line of the tribe of Judah and the root of David, descriptions of two messianic promises and prophecies of expectation, is able to take the scroll and open it. He has overcome And in that moment, 
John opens his eyes from weeping, but he didn't see a lion. He saw a lamb who was slain. In the words of John the Baptist, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 5. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The lamb was standing in the very center of the throne. He has seven horns and eyes, which mean all wisdom and strength. He was encircled by the four living creatures, all of creation, and the 24 elders, his bride, the church. And the unity of purpose shared by the Lamb and the Father on the throne is evident. We see that the will of the Father and the eternal Son is undivided. The taking of the sealed scroll by the Lamb is immediately recognized by the throng of elders and angels that this Lamb is indeed the overcomer. And they burst into the second doxology of praise, similar to the first in chapter 4, which has been heard since the beginning of creation. The second one is sung as a new song. This is being sung on the heavenly side. And, and the idea behind this is, is, this is this is truly what happens in the ascension. When Jesus ascends, having accomplished the work of salvation and redemption, having purchased the people for himself, when he ascends and the door of heaven opens up into his ascension, this is the scene, this scene of Revelation 5. The lamb who was slain is before the throne and he picks up the scroll and all of heaven is giving glory to him. Hallelujah. Because he is the redeemer. Praise the Lord. I love what Spurgeon says here. Jesus wears the appearance of a slain lamb as his royal robes. In these robes, he wooed and redeemed our souls by his complete atonement. These wounds are more than ornaments. They are trophies of his love and victory. He has divided his victory with the strong. He has redeemed a great multitude that no one can number. And his scars are the memorial of that fight. The throne scenes described by John presents powerful images and visual impressions intended to stir our imaginations to see with revelation glasses the reality of what is and what will be. And I would encourage you, read these again and again. Read them again and again. And as we do that, we're combating the powerful visual images that we get 24-7 from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Today, though, I want to end the sermon by focusing on John's description of what he heard. These visual images are powerful and we need them for our imagination, but there's something about what you hear, about the words that are being spoken, that really give an answer to is it worth it to worship God and Jesus in this world? So let's go through it together. What do we hear? 
The first thing we hear in 4a, each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, day and night. They never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We live in a world where evil is rampant and apparently all-powerful. Can I say amen? Do I hear an amen today? We feel that way. Josh was praying about the Ukraine. We are powerless to do anything about that evil, but we're not. Goodness seems weak and ineffectual. These words make it clear that these parents are deceptive. He is holy and separate from any being. He is awesome. He is good. He is truly all-powerful and eternal, and he does not die. Visible circumstances often call the sovereignty of God into question. Isn't that true? We experience hard things. We experience grief and loss. We see brokenness. There's many times we don't know what the reasons are for these things. And these circumstances make us call into question God's sovereignty. But these words that are spoken tell us that the one on the throne is not a victim of circumstance or of human manipulation. The one on the throne is pulsating with brilliance, light, life, and glory, infinite calm, and absolute power. Can I hear an amen? Let's go to the second part, verses 10 and 11. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So this Almighty One that we just talked about is also the source of all life on earth and heaven. Whatever is declared to be by him becomes that which it's declared to be. This makes it clear it is not evil, but supreme righteousness that rules and continues to uphold all things. Creation is a work of power. God has not abandoned the world. He made all things for his purpose. He's in control. Whether we realize it or not, whether we acknowledge the fact or not, we all live and move and have our being in him. If for a moment God took his thoughts off us, we would not exist. Did you ever think about that? When I was a kid, I used to think about things like that. They used to scare me to death. See, evil can strut on the stage of history only as long as the Ancient of Days on the throne allows. Got that? God is the only one who can call into being a new creation. And his promises, as Kira read, he will make all things new. There is hope because the one sitting on the throne is the creator and he's going to make all things new. Hallelujah. He's all powerful. He's the creator. He is the sustainer. He will make all things new. 
evil struts its strut until he says no more. Hallelujah. Let's move a little bit further. Revelation 5, starting in verse 9, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. He bought the privilege to have the scroll of history and open its seals at a price. He was slain and did purchase for God with his blood people from every tribe, language, and nation. It was Jesus' death which led to life for so many, us here today. He was the lamb who took away the sins of the world through his death and resurrection. He is the promised Messiah, Savior, Mediator, High Priest who provides forgiveness for sins, reconciliation with God, and adoption of sons and daughters. Do you get an amen? Hallelujah. This is the Redeemer. What a future awaits us who overcome through the victory of the Lamb. Though we often appear weak as lambs in the world's eyes, the day is approaching when we will be revealed as sons and daughters of God ruling the earth. Did you ever think about that? Ever think about that's who we are? Therefore, because we're on the side of the Lamb, Though we may seem weak and defeated from human perspective, we will overcome with the Lamb, reign with Him, defeat evil. And this is a message of comfort. This is a message of hope and victory. Is it worth it? True strength often lies in seeming weakness. And this is an important principle. 5 verse 12 in a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And what looks like a slain Lamb is really the mightiest being in the universe. The Lamb is really the Lion. I think of C.S. Lewis, I think of Aslan often when I think about this. If might is to be strong, it needs to be expressed through weakness. Now, that just seems so, for us, upside down, but this is what we see. This is true in life and the death of Jesus, and it must be true in our lives as well. Jesus said, if you wanted to become great, you must become a servant. If you want to be first... You must make yourself last. Overcoming comes through servanthood. True strength comes through willing weakness, humility. It's so important to know this because not everyone can be strong in the world's terms. Isn't that true? But everyone can be weak. You get it? If power belonged only to the strong, then the weak of the world would have no hope. But Jesus teaches us that spiritual strength comes through the admission of weakness. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12.10, When I am weak, then I am strong. James said God opposes the proud but gives peace 
and grace to the humble. Jesus says to Paul, who's struggling with a thorn in the flesh and has been praying about it, he says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Have you seen this principle at work in your life? This is an eternal principle. This is what the Lamb reflects. So think about a few things. I was thinking about a few things. Think about temptation, temptation in your life, temptation to sin. Think about it. How successful have you been, especially with maybe some pattern temptations, to be able to defeat that in your own strength? How good have you been? I have been an absolute failure when I try to do it in my own strength. Oh, I can maybe do it oh, really hard, maybe, maybe do it for a day, but try that with your tongue, the tongue assignment, maybe you can do it for 10 minutes. But when I humble myself, and I ask to be delivered from evil, and I ask the Lord to help me, it's in that that I find strength that I never had to resist the temptation. Let's move it along a little bit. Our ability to love. Now, there are some people in our lives, they sort of think like us, they're sort of like that, they're pretty easy to love, and there's other people in our lives, it's just hard to love. And then there's people we don't know, and why should we love them? And so much of that, my ability to love and not love people comes from my pride or my agenda. Think about it. But when I say, Lord, help me to love in the way that you would love. Lord, I want to love. I want the love that's in me through the Holy Spirit, the same love that the Lamb had, that sacrificial love, that love for anyone, even if they're my enemy, I want to be able to have that love. And then I begin to see my heart melt and my eyes change and my perspective of people different. And I find myself doing things for people I never would have done. Has that ever happened to you? See, this is part of the power in weakness. When we're on teams overseas, often I'll have somebody come to me, maybe after a couple days, and they'll say, I just can't love anymore. I'm just flat out out of love. And I say, yeah, you, now you're in the perfect place. Because now we go and we live out of God's love and not our own strength. And that's what God does. How about extending mercy? But extending mercy. See, Jesus' reign was not by hurting others, but by taking the hurts of others unto himself. He calls us to reign in the same way. And doing that takes time, it takes effort, it takes our talents, and it takes our resources. It's too much. I got too many other things to do. Not to mention, it's hard for me to love anybody about myself. I just saw this last week. Um, a group of us went down to West Philly. Some of us from our church, some of us from Calvary OPC. 
we went down to 56th in Baltimore. Now, 56th in Baltimore is in West Philadelphia. That's not a safe area, right? Matter of fact, some people might be afraid to go down there right now because it's like the Wild West down there. At least that's the way we think about it. But here we are, a group going down to serve, to do mercy together. And here's what we saw. We saw a group of people at a house on Baltimore Avenue, and I want to tell you that all we saw was the pleasure of God. We saw joy. We saw the neighbors coming out and being on their porches. We saw some praising God. There was no sense of fear. There was no sense that anything, it became a holy place because God's people were working out of God's heart and his love. And I believe in that pleasure. The angels surrounded that place. There was no sense that we were ever in danger. People stopped by. Guys stopped by in their trucks. We gave them iron and metal. It was incredible. It was God's people in weakness, working out of his strength. And it was a powerful witness and testimony. And then the last one I'll talk about, there's certainly many more, but praying for others. Praying for others. When we pray, the word tells us that God is able to do more than we ask or imagine. How amazing is that? I sit here and pray for you, and God is able to do more than you or I ask or imagine in your life. And so the, the humble part of that is, is I take my time, I love how we say my time, and I pray for you. I take some time to love you by praying, or to love the Ukrainian people by praying, or to pray for the missionaries that are out there, or to pray for the city and its violence, or to pray for revival to come, or to pray for those things both close and far to the God who's able to do more than we ask or imagine. And it's in that weakness, as we come, God delights to work in power. You see? This is the principle, brothers and sisters. This is the lamb who was slain. This is what he reflects the one who was slain. May we learn to have power and weakness. And the last part is, let's go right to uh, 13, 513. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise, honor, glory, and power forever and ever. The outpouring of hearts full of adoration, love, and praise for all that God has done through the Lamb. After you hear these things, don't you just want to praise Him? Don't you just want to say, thank you, Lord? I used to love the song, Awesome God. Anybody remember that song? Our God is an awesome God. Oh, I used to love singing that song. I know I sang my way last week. I'm not going to sing Awesome God today, but I feel like it right now because our God is an awesome God. He is awesome. And I want to praise him. Here's what Spurgeon says, and we'll end with this thought. 
Let the believers on earth imitate the saints in heaven in nearness to Christ. Let us on earth be as the elders are in heaven, sitting around the throne. May Christ be the object of our thoughts and the center of our lives. Lord Jesus, draw us near to you. Say to us, abide in me and I in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We come to the one who's loved us so much that he would die for us. We see with the eyes of revelation and the spiritual eyes God gives us, the throne rooms and how powerful it is. May we ever be people who grow in these things together. Lord, bless us in that. I'll ask the worship team to come up and let me just pray for us. Father, as we come this morning and our hearts have been open as we, Lord, in some way have caught a glimpse of what is real, what real reality is, that you are on the throne, that you love us so much that the Lamb who was slain picks up history, and that, Lord, as people who have been redeemed and purchased by the blood of Christ, we share in this, we share in the glory, we share in the things to come, and yet, Lord, we also share in the weakness that you might be the power and the glory. May you work in our hearts, Lord. May you work in us in such a way that we will be people who truly are the ambassadors, the aroma of Christ, those who are living in such a way that heaven has come to earth to the people of God. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.